Are you ready to rip? <laughs> Smell that? Wait, they don't do any coke in this. Yeah, they do some coke. In the beginning. They All test right. it. That's what I was doing. <laughs> to get a It's white powder. They don't mention coke. Yeah. But yeah, let's do it. This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> what? We didn't even, we didn't even plan that. <laughs> That's just off the cuff. That's what you get here. <laughs> <laughs> Off the cuff hilarity. I uh, am Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Joining me today, he's back once again, Alex. Mr. Let him watch Jones. Get it. Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't going to be easy. Bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cocks. <laughs> I just love when he says tommy cocks. <laughs> yeah, it's been a few fortnights since, since uh, you've been on the show. Couple of nights. Pretty busy July. Yeah. And then... Uh, I remember what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had at least one or two weddings. Two... Not just... Well, at least one wedding. <laughs> it's then, all blur. And then went to Chicago. Yep. Did a little little concert, bachelor party action in Chicago. What yeah. concert? Foo Fighters. Ooh. Wrigley Field. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Noise. Noise. <laughs> <laughs> that camera was like, was it June? Was uh, your standby me was the last one you were on. No, to be fair, we've been June. we've been slacking overall in terms of episodes. I was gonna say, well, there's been a lot of sickness about <laughs> traveling and sickness. Yeah, Jason uh, pretty much got what that, what I had. I wonder where he got it from. <laughs> yeah, but it was like a month after me. Sucking face. <laughs> yeah, Brett was like, yeah, he made the comment on the last episode. It's like, what do you guys, do you guys kiss or make out or something? And I was like, well, if we did then like it we were took healthy, like a month though, to, we did it. <laughs> to fester inside of him before it manifested itself yeah but that's the type of stuff you put off <laughs> that long-term sickness you I think guess. you're fine and then it just gets you <laughs> oh man is he better yeah is he on the last one no no he, he picked the rock and then he couldn't show up for the rock <laughs> <laughs> show had to go on without him yeah he didn't want it to be delayed any further, which was fine. Well, shout out to Jason. Hope he's <laughs> feeling better. <laughs> big, uh, ups. big ups. <laughs> big ups. <laughs> hashtag save Jason. We knew we should make those shirts. Like save Ferris. <laughs> no hashtag, though. On the, on the shirt. 
Save Jason. <laughs> big episode today. Big one. <laughs> Not big ups. Big episode today. <laughs> big ups. <laughs> I Googled it. Said you fucking blow. That <laughs> <laughs> was on Tom's website. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about a movie called The Goods People, <laughs> which probably does not deserve to be mentioned on a podcast about Easy Rider, but no, but no, we just did it, so doesn't relate. But I'm sure we could figure a way to work something. <laughs> yes, we are talking Easy Rider. We're doing a breakdown today. For those of you new to the show, uh, we have kind of two main episodes on that focus on movies specifically, uh, breakdowns and leftovers. Leftovers is more of a lighthearted take. We like to talk about some maybe fun facts, things we like about the movie. Whereas a breakdown, we kind of get more in-depth, kind of analyze it more, dig into mm. themes or symbols, mm. more fun facts, but really sink our teeth in. Really dig in with our teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that we do. And they're always ASAPs? Or not ASAPs? No, they're not, they don't have to be ASAPs. Minim- they're always well-reviewed. Yeah. So I'll say that. Yeah. Or a movie that we think is very important or seminal work, if you will. What? Seminal? Yeah. Like Florida? <laughs> Florida Seminal? Florida State? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to clear that up. But uh, just uh, hold on a second. I grab my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Keep, keep him going. So it's just me. He's hanging. Muller's out of the other room, but... Yeah, just putting out some vibes. Oh, fuck, he's coming back. <laughs> What's up, Mulder? Hey. <laughs> Man, why? Say hi to your mother for me. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go talk to some animals. Hey, goat. <laughs> Uh, all right. Easy Rider from Rad. nine from nineteen sixty nine. Directed by Dennis Hopper. Written by, which uh, we'll get into is a a big fucking deal about this movie is who wrote it. Well, I'll say officially it's written by Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, and Terry Southern. That is highly contested. By all three, actually. <laughs> I found conflicting stories from all three people. They all thought they did more, I assume? Or did Basically. Terry? Okay. Fonda was more of a, it was collaborative and whatnot. It was his original, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. Okay. But it's a big, long thing. Um, That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> you put it out there. Okay, Michael Scott in here. <laughs> uh. All right. Starring Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. Terry Southern. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, I should also mention that Peter Fonda played Wyatt and Dennis Hopper played Billy. But uh, Antonio Mendoza was Jesus. Phil Spector was the connection. Is the uh, drug dealing connection in the beginning at the airport? Mister, I killed my wife. Right, that's what he did. He killed his wife, Phil Spector. Yep. 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 Looks like it's in order of appearance on here. Lucas Skew is the stranger on the highway. Or I just wrote him down in my notes as Sergeant Peppers. 
<laughs> That's what he looked like with that suit he's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Laura Anders, uh, Robert Walker Jr., Jack Nicholson as George Hansen. And that's about it because, uh, well, actually, I should mention also Tony Basil as Mary and Karen Black as Karen. Yeah. But everyone else was, uh, a lot of the extras were from their locations that those scenes were shot. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of just local people, people that didn't really work again. But, uh, yeah, uh, quick synopsis. Through the open country and desert lands, two bikers head from L.A. to New Orleans and along the way meet a man who bridges a counterculture gap they are unaware of. Now, I think that's a pretty shitty synopsis. <laughs> what was it? They that was meet, the number one on IMDb. They meet a man. Who bridges a counterculture gap they are unaware of. No, I think they're pretty aware of it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're very aware of it. <laughs> that is terrible. They, can't, they haven't gotten a hotel room the whole trip by the time they meet George Hansen. That's yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that's just a bad one. And then the next one is like three paragraphs long. <laughs> so you really are forced to read the first one. Well, this one's a little better. Partners and friends Wyatt and Billy buy drugs in Mexico and sell them in L.A., raising money to travel to the Mardi Gras. Oh, this person doesn't even know English that wrote this. It says, the partners and friends Wyatt and Billy buy drugs in Mexico and sell them. In Los Angeles, raising money to travel to the Mardi Gras in New Orleans on their chopper-style bikes. They cross the country on a musical ride through spectacular landscapes <laughs> and encounter counterculture groups and also experience small-town intolerance for their looks and lifestyle. That is, there is not an one decent way, way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that wasn't too bad of one. Seriously, that's the that was the best one on IMDb? <laughs> the Mardi Gras. Jesus. Jesus Cristo. That's ridiculous. This movie deserves better. People, hop on IMDb and prove it. Go to Easy Writer's page. Somebody else do it. We don't want to do it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, um, we're going to go through it beat by beat. Uh, Mostly I have three sections. We'll talk about the story because there isn't a whole lot of story. It is just a a road trip. Mm -hmm. Little dialogue. But uh, I think the first thing I wanted to talk about was the kickin' soundtrack it has. One of the uh, first soundtracks that, I guess, used previously recorded music, you know, not like score or created for the movie. It was previous, you know, songs created for other purposes Mm -hmm. (laughs) or just not for movies. Yeah. Because up until that point, movies didn't really do that. I mean, you could say that the Beatles movies... A couple of those were before them, and those used big songs, but that's because the Beatles were in it. Right. Or Beatles movies, more of a musical. You know, they made albums for those movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it wasn't so as that was pure similar. as... Right. Yeah. It wasn't as pure as, this is a movie, this is the music type A thing. bunch of different kind of songs selected, curated, if you will, yeah. and put together to yeah. form kind of the background of this movie. So I'll go over the uh, soundtrack credits here. You have The Pusher, performed by Steppenwolf. Uh, Born to be Wild, also Steppenwolf. I Wasn't Born to Follow, uh, by The Birds. The Weight, uh, by The Band. Uh, If You Want to Be a Bird, by The Holy uh, Modal Rounders. Don't Bogart Me, (laughs) performed by Fraternity of Man. 
If Six Was Nine, performed by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Uh, Let's Turkey Trot, performed by Little Eva. Uh, Kyrie Ellison, performed by the Electric Prunes. Flash Bam Pow, performed by uh, Electric Flag, as the Electric Flag. Uh, it's All Right Man, I'm Only Bleeding, performed by Roger McGuinn. Ballad of Easy Rider, uh, performed also by Roger McGuinn. And then what's the, they don't, I don't think they list the Bob Dylan song in here. Um, Which is weird. What, the one, that was towards the end. That closes out, yeah, the movie. With the no, guy that, that's Ballad of Easy Rider. Okay. So that's Roger McGuinn, which I was reading about him. Bob Dylan apparently gave input to the song, but was never given credit. So I don't think you'll find his name. Okay. Actually listed anywhere. Um, okay. But I thought there was a Bob Dylan song just before that one, before Ballad of an Easy Rider. I thought that I thought that was a Bob Dylan song. Maybe not. Maybe it was Roger McGuinn who did that one. Okay. Uh, I'm all right, Ma. That's right. It was composed by Bob Dylan, performed by Roger McGuinn. Ah, that's it. Okay. It's all right, Ma. I'm only bleeding. Yep. That's where it is. So, yeah, one of the most influential soundtracks in the past 50 years. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, I would say it's a pretty good time piece soundtrack, too. If you're naming all the bands, yep. stuff like that, it's pretty, you could literally use that to say, like, if you wanted to hear music of the 60s in that era, you could just listen to the soundtrack. Yep. It does cross all of them pretty well. Um, from Jimi Hendrix to... Uh, what was the one born Born to Be Wild? Um, the Birds like does a pretty good job. Yeah, great time capsule for the music. Yep. A lot of sixties music. Yep, that's what this movie kind of is: is capturing cultural movement of the sixties, counterculture movement. Yep, and it hadn't really been captured up until that point. Plus, it doesn't. It does a good job of capturing the drug songs too with the sixties. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're very specific, not like even beating around the bush type. Like the Pusher Man one. Yeah, well, uh, right after they sell the drugs, the Pusher comes up. Yeah, uh, comes on. Uh, <laughs> don't bogart my joint, <laughs> my friend. Like they're just—it's perfect. Like it's almost in your face, but mm-hmm. the movie kind of is, anyways. Because we'll get into some of the stuff, but where they're like breaking down stuff in the movie, it's almost there's a lot of symbolism, but. There's also very just literal explanations of drugs or the culture of the time and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Born to be wild. Yep. So let's talk about a few of our sources. So I watched Easy Rider on the Criterion Blu-ray, and then I watched it again with commentary from Dennis Hopper by phone, and then Peter Fonda <laughs> and uh, production manager Paul Lewis. Uh, there's also a review, a, a reflection I read from Criterion. It's called Wild at Heart. It's written by Matt Zoller. Zietz? Seats? Something like that. Uh, you and I both read part of uh, Peter Fonda's memoir, Don't Tell Dad. That's yep. what it's called. And then you listened to a commentary with just Dennis Hopper. Yeah. That was the... I was trying to find the year. Uh, that was a Blu-ray steelbook version of Easy Rider. I, I I couldn't find where exact what year it came out, but the commentary I listened to said it was recorded in '95. 
Yeah, I felt like this was newer than that, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. This was not over this. So, yeah, the commentary I listened to uh, was purely Dennis Hopper by himself, just talking. Looks like the Steelbook DVD release date of the Steelbook, which looks exactly the same, was 2014. So I'm guessing the Blu-ray came out, but same content. Yeah, um, like we said, this is a counterculture biker movie, but I also saw Hopper and Fonda refer to it as a modern Western or a machine Western. What does that mean? What is a machine Western? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of like what I was thinking. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? There was a, a supplement on the Criterion. It was a short interview on French television when they brought this to Cannes in 69. Okay. And uh, they were asking, you know, them about the movie, and he's like, "It's like a, it's like a modern western or a machine western." And like, what? The, a machine western? I guess they're just because of the motorcycles. Yeah, I guess is about all I could gather. Right. Like, yeah, machine western. Yeah, it must be. I mean, it shows them traveling a lot. They kind of go out. I mean, they're heading east, and they're in the not con- they're the in- stereotypical, you know, off into the west, but. Mm-hmm. But they go through like New Mexico and yep. Arizona and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They are in the countryside a lot. Always yeah. sleeping outdoors. <laughs> yeah, they're camping. Roughing it. I guess I just don't get that term, like you said. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. I will say that I don't. I don't think I ever picked up on the names previously. I don't think I watched it that close. Mm-hmm. Obviously, new Captain America, but yeah. Uh, one Wyatt. I probably never caught Wyatt before and really thought about it because hmm. that's Peter Fonda's character's name, Wyatt. Uh, and Billy. Well, he says Billy the Kid, so I guess I always thought of it, but then I never really mm-hmm. considered it being a Western. But watching it again and having seen kind of different descriptions of it being kind of a more original Western type thing, I'm like, eh, I can kind of see it, I guess. I will say the one movie it reminded me of um, and it's just one scene was hell or high water, hell or high water a little bit. Cause it's almost like the changing of the times, so to yep. speak. Um, financial crisis and hell or high water. And yeah. It's impact no, in almost like small town America. Yep. And the one generation not getting the other generation. And there's, there's a few scenes in here, which I don't know when you want to start digging into them, but, uh, where they highlight kind of. The old, like the past and the present type thing, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. <laughs> uh, I did find some alternate titles. One was uh, Captain America and Bucky in like the cocaine incident or something similar. Is it Captain America and then Bucky? Uh, what's in the Marvel movies? What's right. his name? Bucky what? What's the last name? Uh, I don't know. It's his, his childhood friend. Yeah, but that ends up being bad. And yeah, Marvel was like gonna sue him if they did that, so they couldn't oh, use really? it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they still mentioned him Barnes, as Cap- Bucky yeah, Barnes, Bucky Barnes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they still mentioned Captain America a couple of times, mm. and I can't remember if he still says Bucky once or twice. It refers to Billy, but I guess I never caught it if he did. Yeah, regardless. <laughs> that was something weird. I was like, what, what are you going? Why are you Captain America? <laughs> I mean, I get Bucky. Captain America with the with the flag and whatnot. Right. But I guess it 
probably was pretty popular at the time. The yeah, 60s, the comic so. books. Well, and they're original, so they're jobs. And they're and young. So. Yeah. And a handful of things I read, too, like deleted scenes that were left out, would have highlighted that their jobs are supposed to be, like, they're not drug dealers by day type thing. Yeah. Uh, they're stuntmen. They put on stunt shows. So that's why they were called Captain America, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, just a few more background setup tidbits. See, total budget of about $350,000, but I also heard Fonda say $375,000 yeah. was all said and done. Made over $60 million worldwide. Raked it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still uh, one of the most profitable movies ever made. Well, they talk about, too, how they had that cast and crew. They're traveling pretty fucking light type thing from scene to scene, and they're using town people and shit like that, so they're clearly... Trying to keep the budget low, it paid off. Mm-hmm. An excerpt from that Wilder Heart review that Matt Zoller-Zietz wrote, uh, given Easy Rider's sledgehammer impact on pop culture, it's tempting to treat it as a fluke, a curiosity, and a time capsule. A film that became a surprise hit because it showed young viewers a life they knew quite well but that hadn't yet been accurately captured on film. The language, the sex, the drugs, the clothes, the music... That's true, but Easy Rider, <laughs> Easy Rider also transcends its cultural moment because it's about more than bikers and hippies or the tension between libertines and reactionaries. It's about the difficulty of escaping social conditioning and economic imperatives and sustaining a truly free life. Hopperfond and Southern don't merely validate a mythical image of life outside the mainstream. They show how tough it is to live that way. And I thought that was pretty... Kind of summed up the movie pretty perfectly there. Yeah, that's a good description of it. Yeah, I would a journey to explore America and like discover the American dream. It's kind of what I guess what Wyatt and Billy set out to do. Mm-hmm. And then they do to varying degrees. The last campfire scene at the end is kind of telling, but yeah, I was gonna say, rewatching that you you appreciate it the more you watch it. Like mm-hmm. I watched this when I was young. Ah, uh, the first time, and I loved it. But I loved it more from the free aspect and kind of the it's, it's almost it's a road movie too, in a yeah. sense. Uh kind of highlighting America and the different cultures across it, from small town to the communes to the farmers to you know the hippies and that type of shit. So, um, but yeah, the ending definitely kind of brings it full circle. I would say these last few viewings I did. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the uh, meat of the story here. Like I said, I have uh, separated into three sections. Yeah, so. What's your subjects of the three sections? Did subjects. You, the the, the first them? third of the movie. <laughs> like the ride, section one. It's like your acts, dude. What's act one? <laughs> Off top. But they're riding it all Off three the acts. <laughs> That's it, and it's easy. Act one, the ride. Act two. They ride again. <laughs> Act three, crash and burn. <laughs> machine breaks down. And when the machine breaks down, we break down. Mach- machine Western. Machine Western breaks down. <laughs> machine Western on fire. <laughs> All right, here we go. Wyatt and Billy are freewheeling bikers. After smuggling cocaine from Mexico to L.A., 
They sell their haul and receive a large sum. With the money stuffed into a plastic tube hidden inside the Stars and Stripes painted fuel tank of Wyatt's California-style chopper, they ride eastward, aiming to reach New Orleans, Louisiana, in time for the Mardi Gras festival. During their trip, Wyatt and Billy stop to repair a flat tire at a farmstead and have a meal with the farmer and his family. Later, Wyatt picks up a hippieish st- hitchhiker and he invites them to visit his commune, where they stay for the rest of the day. The notion of free love appears to be practiced, with two of the women, Lisa and Sarah, seemingly sharing the affection of the hitchhiking commune member before turning their attention to Wyatt and Billy. As the bikers leave, the hitchhiker gives Wyatt some LSD for him to share with, quote, the right people. So first off, here's a fun fact. Cocaine was a hard sell to the producers and executives. People bankrolling this movie. They thought people couldn't. It was like too big of a moral mountain to climb. Like these are you mm. know, bad people. It's cocaine. You know, can we use weed and Hopper and Fonda were like, you'd need like a, a trailer, you know, like several trailers full of weed to get like that much money yeah. that they were going to get from the Coke. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what about, you know, hash? Like, well, that that cuts it in half, but <laughs> you know, none of this can, you know, you can't haul it with a motorcycle. <laughs> and so that's why I think cocaine is never said by, I guess cocaine's never said at all in the movie. And it's referred to as white powder yeah. at one point. That's about it. And Fonda, he said on, uh, I guess, another source i had was i listened to peter fonda being interviewed on gilbert godfrey's amazing colossal podcast which is a pretty great listen and he talked about he just wanted the white powder to be whatever you thought whatever the audience would think is the worst because he said well at the end well they you know if you're mad at them they get their comeuppance they die not by not by the way of selling drugs they die for a different reason but I guess they still meet their end. Yeah. So you could look at them as kind of villains too, I suppose. Yeah. Or anti-heroes in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he just talked about how, you know, if you thought it was heroin, fine. If you thought it was coke, fine. Whatever you thought was worse at the time, that's what he wanted. Because they show Phil Spector snorting it though? Um, no. They show him They show down. Fonda at least. Starting it. No, because Spectre Hopper does. Spectre goes down. He, he takes in the car, and I thought he snorted it, because then he looks at Fonda and he's like, "Hmm," as the planes <laughs> are going overhead. Mm-hmm. Fonda just shakes his head, no. And no, because was, in the interview, um, on Godfrey's podcast, Fonda was. You know, they talk about the drugs in this movie were real. I mean, the weed they smoked real weed when there was weed. Yeah, I believe that. And But he said the Coke was fake. It was powdered sugar. And he's like, fucking Hopper promised me it was going to be real Coke. Have you ever <laughs> snorted powdered sugar? Fucking, you know, burns like hell. And he was pissed. <laughs> so he snorted powdered sugar, he said. Huh. Interesting. Because I thought, yeah, I think he snorts it. Maybe he was even slightly you know, off camera and he hands it to Hopper. Because I remember Hopper trying it, too. Yeah, they snorted it uh, in Mexico. Well, they're kneeling before... Or and they go in the, right the junkyard or the fuck they're at. Oh, yeah, in the junkyard. Yeah, yep. and they're making kind of the exchange. That's mm-hmm. where they snort it. And then yep. Spectre snorts it, but nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. When they're selling it. Right. At the airport. 
Yeah. How about those sunglasses in those early scenes? Spectre has some pretty crazy sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Fonda has different sunglasses, I'd say. It's like the like the orange tint. Yeah. Looks like they were pretty modern for the time. Yeah, I was going to say, his glasses didn't look too off the walls. Phil Spector's bodyguard had like those wraparound black <laughs> sunglasses. Those <laughs> look futuristic <laughs> for 69. Well, he's driving around in a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah. He's got the new shit. <laughs> that now, was like, actually his bodyguard and car. Fun fact. Oh, really? Fun yep. fact. Yep. Here's a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually paranoid of planes. Did you read that? Uh, Fonda or Spectre? Spectre. Okay. So apparently the location that they shot that at, uh, Fonda had gone there with his son in outside of L.A. or in L.A., something like that. And it was an area where you could get really close to the runway. Mm-hmm. And then the planes would go over it, and he thought it was so cool. And then he thought, oh, this would be a great place to shoot a scene for a movie. And then so when this movie came up, he thought of it, and he goes, yeah, but it's got to be a scene where you can't talk because it's so, so fucking loud. So it just... Yeah. Has to be assumed whatever's going on, everybody knows. So he goes, drug deal, that'd be perfect. But apparently Phil Spector, um, when he got there, he was so scared and paranoid of the planes that like when he's ducking in the movie, he's like fucking shit in his pants <laughs> like, as the planes are flying overhead. <laughs> <laughs> they never say how much money is made from the deal, I don't no. believe. But apparently it's enough that they can retire on, basically. Or Which, at least... You know, they don't, simple tastes. But. They don't really <laughs> confirm it until the end. Right? That they're going to retire? Well, they don't confirm that it's enough that they're done until the end. I suppose. Because it's not till that last campfire scene that it's like, we made it, man. We did it mm-hmm. type thing. And it's like, why the fuck didn't he say that in the beginning? Like, you made it after you just spent a bunch of money. But maybe it's because they're waiting to get to New Orleans. I couldn't I, – I guess that was one part that I was like, I forgot that – they don't confirm that they've made enough to call it a day until the end of the movie, even though it was only based off the one drug deal. Mm-hmm. Um, in the commentary, they talked about the American flag slash bike was you know, a metaphor for America. It's the great chrome machine, yeah. uh, as Hopper put it, and Pusher was such an appropriate song. Uh, Fonda pointed out he's stuffing the money into the flag as he's because they put they roll up money and then they stick in these tubes and then they stick the tube in the gas tank but he's like he wanted the symbolism of like sticking money into the flag yeah and then hopper later goes on to say this was the big score they didn't need to work anymore you know fonda chucks his watch although i was like why don't you sell that fucker you know (laughs) when did he chuck the watch uh, right before they head out, right before uh, Born to Be Wild. Oh, that's playing. right. Yeah, yeah, because they do the close-up on the ground. Yeah, he looks that's at his right. watch, and he's like, fuck it. Yep. This reminded me of forgetting Sarah Marshall. You know, when I moved out here, I <laughs> you know, stopped wearing a watch. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I got, got a clock on my phone. <laughs> so, it's the same thing. <laughs> I was like, why don't you just sell that? You know, you just sold drugs. Why don't Dude, you? they're free. <laughs> they ain't Watches? about the money. <laughs> or are they about well, the money? <laughs> <laughs> Billy is very much about the money. <laughs> uh, I saw that all the scenes on the road, this according to the commentary, were shot from a Chevy convertible with the back seat that was taken out. Uh, they would stay at around 25 miles per hour so you could see the background. And the uh, the tires were soft on the 
car. Mm. So, you know, because it's pretty smooth camera work. Yeah. I forget his name. Cinematographer Kovacs. What was his name? Uh, yeah, Laszlo Kovacs. Yep. Who went on to do some great things. Uh, five Easy Pieces. Ghostbusters, you know, Close Encounters <laughs> of the Third Kind. He did a lot of stuff after this. This was like his coming out party. That's pretty good. Miss Congeniality? No. <laughs> he did, actually, in 2000. His director of photography. So I'm just going through it, you know, from top to bottom. Uh, a lot of the scenes, too. So a lot of the shots apparently were inspired by Hopper. One of his favorite movies at the time, he said, was The World of a Pooh. It's an Indian okay. film. There, It's like an Indian trilogy. I think the first one is called The World of a Pooh. But he says a lot of the shots that are taken of Peter Fonda and the prairie and shit like that where you see the nature and stuff, apparently it was inspired by this okay. Indian movie. So I bet you that Laszlo used some of that stuff for those shots, potentially. Not all of them, but... Um, they stopped at a farm to uh, fix a flat tire. And uh, Fonda said that uh, the owner of that farm, his son had just died a few weeks prior in Vietnam. So it was pretty... Yeah. I guess pretty relevant to the movie and the the cultural I guess feel at the time. Yeah, a lot of people affected by Vietnam. That was the one scene that reminded me of Hell or High Water, mm-hmm. uh, because they they go back and forth, and at one point I think they have both in the same shot of Fonda changing his bike tire, and then the farmer changing the horseshoe type thing. And if you remember in Hell or High Water, when those douchebags pull up to the gas station yeah. that well for one uh chris pine and ben forster pull up ben foster pull up and they're just station wagon and there's a dude getting a there's like a cowboy getting his horse ready and mm-hmm. they're sitting there and that already shows a difference in the time and suddenly those douchebags pull up in that neon green corvette or mustang whatever it is they pull up next to it, and then the horse starts to get riled. And it just, it was a good highlight of like how different the generations are mm-hmm. and shit like that, and kind of the the fading away of the old stuff. So, yeah. I thought that was kind of a cool scene in there mm-hmm. with the horseshoe and then the bike tire. And I actually have a clip uh, from that dinner scene or lunch scene, I should say, with the uh, farmer. Where you fellas from? LA. L.A. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Better fact. When I was a young man, I was headed for California. But, uh, well, you know how it is. Well, you sure got a nice spread here. Yeah, I sure got a lot of them. My wife is Catholic, you know. <laughs> Honey, can we have some more coffee? No, I mean it. You've got a nice place. It's not every man that can live off the land, you know. You do your own thing in your own time. You should be proud. I wanted to include that clip because I think it's pretty relevant to the end um, mm-hmm. when he's talking to Hopper around the campfire. But also, you know, the next place they visit in the commune, they're trying to live off the land and they can't 
make heads or tails of it. You know, yeah. Can't, I mean, it, it isn't raining. They believe they're in the middle of a drought, which mm-hmm. isn't helping. But it's a common reoccurrence of people trying to live off the land. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I wrote that line down. I always like that line that Fonda said to him. Do your mm-hmm. own thing in your own time type stuff. Let's talk a little bit about some more of the cinematography. That lens glare sunshine was very purposefully uh, put in or left in, I should say, especially early on in the showing the light shine down on them. Mm-hmm. The hopper really wanted that. And, you know, at first uh, people were kind of, you know, what are you doing? This looks like shit. You know, you shouldn't leave that in the movie. You know, it takes away from the movie and whatnot. But yeah. Now, jump forward to today, and that's half of J.J. Abrams' fucking career. (laughs) 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 Fucking lens flare. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, it became much more acceptable over time. Yeah. And uh, the cutting, because, like, the cutting, the transitions between certain scenes are very jarring. Mm -hmm. It goes forward and back, forward, back, forward, back, like three times. Yeah. It's like a transition instead of a, a hard cut or a fade. And, um... Hopper said about this, he said he wanted to win can. Uh, and at the time he was convinced that he could only win with direct cutting. Thought uh, superimposing wasn't artistic enough and it was uh, too easy of a solution. He thought it added to the movie. I think it makes it pretty original. I think it adds to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly feels like it is kind of jarring you a little bit. Like yeah. There's later scenes, especially when the town people come and beat them with bats. Mm-hmm. where they jump back and forth between uh, Hopper sitting up with a knife and screaming into the bats and that type, like where it's like kind of adds to that psychedelic type feel of what part of the movie ends up being. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was cool. I, I, I liked it actually. Because you still don't, you don't see that very much, I would say, in bigger movies. Maybe yeah. in smaller indie movies or something. I I can't recall. I can't think of another movie that does it that many times to transition shit. Um, yeah, so I, I like not that. I can't off the top of my head either. Yeah, uh, yeah. They sure do have trouble getting a room fucking anywhere. <laughs> well, they're long hairs. <laughs> they let those long hairs in. They're real cute. <laughs> People like make fun of them and like call them girly or queer or a bunch I, of different names. Like you know, they have long hair. They're Another thing, like, I did not get the kind of the vitriol, everyone, all the hate everyone had for the American flag. Well, that, I got a kick like out of In the that. South, I understand it, but it seems like everywhere. It was you got, hated. yeah, I mean, I guess in the South you get it, but it was just like, um, it was kind of surprising to read different stuff where they said, like, that's, people weren't as blazing with the American flag. At the mm-hmm. time, even people who were probably not against like Vietnam War and the government and all that shit, like it was like the one guy says, what do you call him, a queer? Mm. Yankee he had queer. A flag. Yeah, Yankee queer because mm-hmm. of the American flag, which is like, that's so, it's weird to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I've well, I guess today's time it's, people think of the flag a little differently, but the, most of our upbringing, you, you're more proud of the flag. I would yeah. say that was more of the general consensus mm-hmm. that you could wear it wherever. I got flag shirt on <laughs> just for the podcast. <laughs> Is that on the moon though? You got Neil yeah, Armstrong dude. there. Saluting the flag in the moon. First man <laughs> in theaters in a couple of months. Yeah. Saw a trailer for that before uh, mission impossible. 
Uh, I forget what movie we went to. Mamma Mia 2. Saw it before that. I guess it wasn't even a trailer. It was just a scene. It was like three minutes of the movie. It was like oh, the cool. launch. Landing oh, that's pretty and sweet. Yeah, we went to Mamma Mia 2 with Sam's mom for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And they had a trailer. Pretty much most of the trailers for that movie were bad. And I kept looking at Sam going, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then that one came on and I was like, yup. The, the gauze? <laughs> that, that was fucking sweet. <laughs> fucking gauze. I can do everything. All right. Um, yeah, I also heard, I mean, Hopper talked about, or not Hopper, but Fonda talked about it too. Uh, before they really started making the movie, when he's just you know bumming around L.A. on the motorcycle in his jacket, he got pulled over several times and oh, hassled yeah. by the cops for wearing that shit. Yeah. One time they even handcuffed him and brought him down to the station until the guy there was like, you know, this is fucking Peter Fonda, you dipshit. Yeah. <laughs> and like you, they ended up letting him go, but it's like you stopped multiple times just for wearing the flag. That's this is funny. California, right? Like Hollywood. <laughs> this would have been like 68 yeah so that's Jesus. it's it's still very just confusing to me a little <laughs> bit that even like cops and stuff like that would go who the fuck is this with the american flag mm-hmm. like that's what you're uh yeah maybe because it was too brazen uh I going because I, I i always say like between the 50s and 60s that was that was the big shift like mm-hmm People started questioning the government, not trusting the government, not agreeing with wars. We had civil rights. Which still kind of confused me why Fonda's so pro-American flag. Because it represents the government and everyone's shitting on the government, at least in his well, circle I guess of I maybe Maybe he at the time, because even Hopper said that too. Like He described Easy Rider as a fable about what was occurring at the time. Mm-hmm. He was very conflicted about America. Yep. And I, they're probably conflicted in the sense that like, they were proud to be an American, mm-hmm. but they didn't agree with the government. So yeah, what, do you well, I guess, do, what do you do with that? Nowadays, it's like, I don't know. I guess I've had conversations like that where I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a patriot. I fucking love America, but I don't love the government. Mm-hmm. I still go back to the Harold and Kumar line, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to love your government to love your country. <laughs> um, this is some good shit. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I, I mean, this was filmed in 68. So, yeah, Vietnam had been going on, but yep. it was just kind of escalating at this time. So, like, the horrors of Vietnam were still pretty fresh in people's minds. So, they were maybe still more proud to be an American, and it was starting to change mm-hmm. more so in the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah. You know, with uh, Vietnam getting worse, and then us, you know, pulling out, and then Nixon getting in trouble and resigning. And- they always describe uh, the Vietnam. The Vietnam War and JFK and that type of like that was the era when people that was the first time in history that the majority of a country started to question like the government mm-hmm. and that was like that was a huge turning point in people's perception of the U.S. government. Before that, people would turn a blind eye and just say they're going to do the right thing. But once Vietnam and that stuff started to occur, they say that created a huge rift and that essentially changed kind of the direction of people's minds and the government, which I get when you look back on it, I guess it makes sense. I mean, you, you see that, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I think that's everything because people also say like, well, the fifties were before the sixties, you know, the fifties, it was all American and 
everybody kind of knew their values and what was right. It's like, yeah, ask black people that. (laughs) (laughs) They disagree. They're probably like, it was fucked up in the 50s, too. (laughs) We just weren't as loud about it. Yeah. (laughs) So that was one thing about the movie that I thought about the second time where I was like, I get they're doing a big American kind of putting a lens on America at the time and stuff like that. Um, There was the only minorities were not to say you have to, but it was like. There wasn't really any highlights of that. They kind of highlight it when they get into Louisiana mm-hmm. on the sides of the road. But, I mean, civil rights was pretty fucking big in 69, 68. So mm-hmm. you think that would have been captured a little bit more? But you again, found it, it's an hour and a half movie. You can't capture it all. So I In that it, diner well. where the, they get hassled and end up leaving, um, Fonda talked about in that diner, there was a, you know, a, a colored section. Yeah, because it was in Louisiana, '68, so that would have been at the tail end of kind of segregation. Everybody's yeah. like, "Yeah, jukebox in the colored section had all the best music." <laughs> 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 it was you know, the one of the main, you know, restaurant wasn't really yeah. nothing to you know write home about. But you, know, you go to, you go to the other side of the restaurant had all the best music, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and it was you know dirt floors in there, and you know watching that too, you know. Fonda and Hopper and Nicholson, they're all treated worse than the blacks were in in that scene. Where were the, I didn't see any black people in that scene. They're, they're, you don't see them. They're in the, it's another, like the back room or something? Yeah, oh. No, they're, they're like the, the back room or like a back section. It was another section oh, of the restaurant. Oh, okay. I guess it but I was like, it. you know, that restaurant has a section for black people. Not that they should have been segregated, but. That they least, were accommodating. <laughs> yeah, they accommodated. Sure. Black people, or at least to serve them, I don't. I'm sure it was terrible service and everything, but like they, they didn't even want Hopper and Fon and Nicholson right. in the restaurant. Well, they're traitors. Like they didn't want them <laughs> eating. Yeah, they're like you're at disgusting. All. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of crazy. Yeah. I was like, that's like kind of one of the only instances of like a you know a white person being traded in the worse than a black person in the sixties <laughs> in the South. Yeah. Because then they go and. Immediately try to murder him that night. Immediately. Won't <laughs> we'll make the parish line, guarantee yeah. it. But Yankee queer. What do you say we do to them? <laughs> That's within two minutes of seeing them. <laughs> Let's just kill them. Uh, getting back to the flag thing, um, Fonda talked about how a year after the movie came out, like 1970, like every cop uniform in America had an American yeah. flag on its shirt from like then on. Yep. Well, that's because I suppose he's well, like the the little victories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why it's it, it's just it's so funny to me that it was perceived as odd mm-hmm. to be that. I, I don't know. That's just funny because yeah, it wasn't long after that suddenly it was like yeah, flag, rock them everywhere essentially. Like if you're mm-hmm. proud of your country, but and then he would have thought. It's probably the U.S. government. If it was like 1975, so. you would you would have thought that Fonda would have burned his jacket. Probably. Right, right. <laughs> like he would have been toting that flag around. Yeah, he wouldn't have been rocking the flag anymore. <laughs> you know, more just ended. Nixon resigned. He's like, you know, I don't think it was a very proud time for people, <laughs> especially with the countercultural movement. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, so they pick up that Sergeant Pepper's looking guy. And he brings him to the commune. Uh, it was shot in Santa Monica Mountains. Uh, a lot of the people were friends and family. 
even uh, Fonda's own son, Justin, was in there. Bridget Fonda's in there somewhere. Um, you know, little kids. Um, Dan Haggerty was in there, who was uh, Grizzly Adams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that Bobby Walker guy, he was the one with the, uh, he had a beard and he had the split hair down the middle. Then he, he, was gave, he gave the prayer. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He was like, I guess, most known for an episode of Star Trek. Oh, okay. Pretty, but he did a bunch of different things. It was a friend of Fonda's. I love that 360-degree scene. Yeah. Shot. Uh, one thing that it it changes once Jack Nicholson shows up because he talks a decent amount and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. for most of the movie, there's a lot of, like, a couple words and then just silence. Like, the shit just sinks in type thing. And, like, at that commune, when they do the prayer, they go around, like, they're sucking in all the background noise, the crying kid and... The farm animals and mm-hmm. coughing and shit like that. And it really highlights, like, I don't know, how poor the people are and how yeah. probably hungry as shit they are and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, I'm not sure what you're, what they wanted you to take away from the scene, but it, the kind of the struggle of the people. Yeah. And maybe not knowing what to do, but trying to do something to be free. Because I think that's what they're trying to highlight, too. Even with the farmer, like... When he says the thing about living off your own land, not every man can do that type thing. That is an element of freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the commune, they're struggling to get by, and you have kids and all kinds of shit. But yeah, and so, some of them were extras, and they were just people that they picked up off the street, and they're like, "Hey, you want to? We're shooting this movie in this commune. You want to for a couple of days? You can sleep there, and we'll feed you." And they're like, "Ah, oh, sure." <laughs> So it was like some of them were basically just hippies or drifters or whatever, homeless maybe. Well, I read that they, uh, I can't remember if it was in Fonda's book or not, but that they had originally planned to actually shoot at a commune Mm -hmm. and then it burned down or something before they got there. Yeah. So then they had a shift. I think there was another commune in uh, Arizona that was like, you can't shoot here or something. Okay. As well. Yeah. It could have been two separate things. Yeah. But yeah, they kind of rebuilt. There was a commune where they built it that they kind of recreated okay maybe that one had burned down previously maybe that's where they yeah maybe that's yeah maybe that was a connection but uh yeah i also noticed that in that commune scene that hopper gets like rapey real fast i thought he starts like he's handsy (laughs) he's very handsy he is i i was trying to dissect the two of them because they are fucking complete opposites in the entire movie Mm mm-hmm Fonda is very much like trying to be in touch with nature and he contemplates nature and all that type of shit. And he's trying to be free and he looks at everything kind of openly, uh, not quick to judge, I would say, or react to yeah. anything. Cause even in the cafe scene, he's like, they sit around for a while and he's like, let's split. Like he's very <laughs> calm the entire mm-hmm. fucking movie until he gets to the graveyard and loses his shit. Uh, <laughs> Hopper the entire time he's just like a fucking drug addict. <laughs> he's just like, all right, man, like let's get some money, let's score. Yeah, we're living free, dude. <laughs> it's like Bonda, you've been been paying attention to the wrong thing the whole time. Why are you hanging out with this guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> in the commentary, this said, uh, yeah, throughout the film, Billy is antagonistic towards Wyatt, which kind of builds up Wyatt and kind of makes him more heroic. Hopper's character is more of a naysayer, while Fonda's has more hope. Yeah. Kind of what you were saying. Yep. Because he, even at the farm, or the commune, when he says, like, Hopper's like, oh, these people aren't, 
So something to the effect like these people aren't gonna make it. And he's like, Yeah, they will. I can tell. Type thing like that. Because mm-hmm. Hopper starts to like talk shit about the food. <laughs> he's like, Hey, we're eating their food. <laughs> like shut the fuck up. Yeah. Because he's like, I don't want to give them a ride, you know? Right. He's like, they're eating their fucking food, man. (laughs) God. (laughs) Fucking dick. Um, Yeah, he gets kind of handsy on there, but then I was like, well, wait, this is 68. You know, free love, right? Free love. How's the Me Too movement (laughs) last in the free love era? I don't think it it exists. (laughs) Yeah. It's like that. I wouldn't say, I would say the Me Too is kind of like a, countercultural type of thing yeah. these days. And it's kind of crazy how it kind of shifted from what it was, you know, well, it's 50 years ago, but you know, summer love, I guess is 69 technically. Well, I suppose back then it was kind of like, well, I mean, you were asking for it. Yeah. So if you complained about it, it's like, what do you expect? <laughs> Where yeah. nowadays it's like, no, nah, that's not how it goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. He gets handsy with that girl, and even at the whorehouse later, he's like fucking flicking shirts open and stuff. It's like, listen, we're gonna bang you, but take her easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, plus, he's wearing that. What do you call it? Not leather, but uh, it's almost like some sort of hide, cowhide or horse cowhide, hide. and it's like a full suit. Yeah, and he's like full that, on cowboy. It, like that thing has got to be sweaty and smelly as shit. <laughs> like, Think man. of Fonda's fucking. Doesn't he wear leather pants all the time? Yeah, a lot of the time. I'm like, God, how's oh, he wearing that God. hot sun black <laughs> leather pants? Uh, I, I suppose they were. Those weren't even cheap back in the '60s. No, probably not. He's a fancy hippie. <laughs> no wonder they didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> they end up going to the pool. It was a very cool pool. It was almost like it was cut in to that rock. Oh, the hot springs. Yeah, the hot springs there. Yep, yep. Except Fonda wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. That? that was pretty funny. <laughs> they shot it separate. I can't, remember, I can't remember whose legs you see in there, but you don't, in the same shot, you don't see Fonda and the other characters. They had to film that scene at two separate times because Fonda got sick with pneumonia, I believe, and was in the hospital for yep. a little while. Yep. So they filmed his shots a couple weeks later which actually before i had read that when i was watching it this last time i remember thinking why is he off to the side because mm-hmm. i was trying to like think deeper on certain scenes like what like what's going on here and i remember thinking why is he just sitting on the rocks while the fucking hopper is swimming around with the ladies mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to make any sense he's just resting yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i forget whose legs those are but yeah because one of the girls is even like hanging on the legs but they don't show oh, above yeah. like the knee. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> it's called film magic. Yeah, he got hurt a couple of times because yeah, he was in the hospital for pneumonia. And then uh, when they leave that diner in Louisiana, mm-hmm. you know, they hop on their bikes to like start him up. And Fonda was like trying to kickstart his bike. Broke his shin. Well, he didn't break anything, but he really hurt his ankle. I was like, it sprung back and rolled his ankle while mm-hmm. he's trying to kickstart it. You see there's a hard cut from when they're starting to start the bikes and then it cuts in the back and the bikes are started. Like they, they kind of oh. start like Fonda's off screen because sure. he couldn't kick it anymore because <laughs> his ankle was shot. Oh, funny. 
Uh, well, plus he had to dodge, you know, Dennis Hopper, like threatening people and fighting with people like the whole shoot. <laughs> yep. Just a crazy coke fiend the whole time. It's a fucking nut job. <laughs> Director. Uh, I think that's about all I had for the yeah, first section. Do you have anything else? Uh, the only it's other. about f- the commune? The only other fun fact I had was the farmer and the hitchhiker were also from Cool Hand Luke. Okay. Apparently. So Dennis Hopper was in Cool Hand Luke. Oh, yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, Lucas Skew. Yep. Yep. So he, that too. he said he used those two guys just because he had known them from that film or whatever yep. for small roles. Yeah, Hopper, uh, yeah, he didn't have many lines in Cool Hand Luke, but yeah, he's in there. Yep. Let's see. All right. I'll just start the next section here. Machine Western section. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Later, while riding along with a parade in a small town, the pair are arrested for parading without a permit and thrown in jail. There, they befriend ACLU lawyer George Hansen, who has spent the night in jail after overindulging in alcohol. George helps them get out of jail and decides to travel with White and Billy to New Orleans. As they camp that night, Wyatt and Billy introduce George to marijuana. George is reluctant to try it due to the gateway drug theory, but quickly relents. Stopping to eat at a small town Louisiana diner, uh, the trio attracts the attention of the locals. The girls in the restaurant think they are exciting, but the local men and a police officer make denigrating comments and taunts. Wyatt and Billy and George George, uh, decide to leave without any fuss. They make camp outside town. In the middle of the night, a group of locals attack the sleeping trio, beating them with clubs. Billy screams and brandishes a knife, and the attackers leave. Wyatt and Billy suffer uh, minor injuries, but George has been bludgeoned to death. Wyatt and Billy wrap George's body in his sleeping bag, gather his belongings, and vow to return the items to his parents. Yeah, the first they arrive in that parade in that small town, and they just start busting through like a bunch of assholes. I was like, good. Should get arrested, being fucking assholes. <laughs> it's like marching bands, and they're like riding through them on their on their bikes. Just, rawr, rawr. I was like, "Fucking dick, get out of there!" These people are just trying to march and play their instruments. Uh, <laughs> I thought the same thing, and then I also thought, who came up with the idea that they should get arrested for parading without a permit? Of all things, mm-hmm. why would the fuck would you pick? Let's have them go to town, and then they get arrested for parading without a permit. <laughs> Maybe it was it was the idea that it's so ridiculous that they're being picked on almost a little bit, mm-hmm. but not when you're riding right through the goddamn parade. <laughs> you are being a dick. <laughs> I guess uh, parade was in uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico. Yeah. Fun fact: I've been there. Snap. On my trip to California with the marching band. Hey, there you go. <laughs> You're in a band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a marching band. <laughs> I was in the drum line, though, so it was a little, I guess I could have moved easier. <laughs> for them? Yeah, for them. But anyways. Um, That's to your advantage. Actually, I probably couldn't have moved easier because I was holding a bass drum, so I guess not. But anyways. Name, name drop. Name drop on the <laughs> instrument. <laughs> it was funny because. Bass drummers have the biggest wieners. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun fact. That's a fun fact. Apparently a WTM exclusive, because I've never heard that before. Alex Jones is spreading conspiracy theories, you know. (laughs) 
Oh man. Uh, <laughs> and anyways, on the trip out there, it was like a day and a half type trip with you know we're in three you know charter buses. I remember we stopped at like a Taco Bell like really late at night. Eat great even late. Um, and we get off the bus because we were heading straight to San Diego at that time, and and we were gonna go to Vegas on the way back. Like the real Las Vegas? Yeah. Okay. And so I'm, we're in line at the Taco Bell. I get up to the cashier. and I'm, I mentioned something to somebody. I was like, oh, where are we? And the cashier lady was, we're in Las Vegas. I go, no, we're not. She goes, yeah, we are. We're in Las Vegas. I go, this isn't Vegas. She goes, this is Las Vegas, New Mexico. I'm like, there's not a Las Vegas, New Mexico. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like right across the border. Las Vegas, New Mexico is just a little small town. Huh. But yeah, I was there. It's pretty funny. You were there. Did yeah, you visit the jail? <laughs> <laughs> I was not parading. We had a permit. It was at Disneyland, so oh, we paraded at Disneyland. <laughs> all the graffiti uh, was already there in the jail cell, but they added a couple of names. One being H. D. Stanton. Did you notice that? Oh, Harry, no. Harry Dean Stanton oh. is written above uh, Nicholson. Oh, funny! That side of the, on that wall, it's you see it says H. D. Stanton on the wall. Oh, I never That's caught that. Cool. There was another one in there too. I forget what the name was, but I didn't recognize him. But yeah, just you know, friends of theirs. Uh, that was the real sheriff and deputy after the parade. Oh, was it really? Yep. Okay. According to commentary. It's mildly funny to me that they got so many real people mm-hmm. in these towns to do. I guess I mean it's not totally unrealistic, but given what the movie was about. And how they were that like the sheriffs and the people are like, yeah, we'll be in your movie mm-hmm. type thing. I don't know. It's just kind of funny that the more I yeah. read that, the more real people in there. One, it made me like the movie a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. It also explained some of the shitty acting. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but I was like, the whole movie is kind of highlighting how kind of prejudiced these people are mm-hmm. towards the actors. But I suppose if, I don't know, you can sell it to anybody to be in there for a little bit yeah i mean they talked about in that diner scene in louisiana the people that were you know they they end up killing jack nicholson but the they're also the same people that are kind of you know insulting them in the diner uh those were locals and hopper had seen them i think earlier in the day at a gas station or something like that i can't mm-hmm. remember but they talked about how they noticed those those people because they were kind of standing around cracking jokes about the appearance of fonda and hopper and they're like oh that's perfect we'll just put them in the movie but it wasn't to the extent like, well, we're going to fucking murder him before they leave the county. Right, <laughs> right. It was just they were probably making, I mean, I'm sure they they probably even said queer to Yankee queers or something. But it was more of, I guess, if you want to call it lighthearted, I guess, compared to trying to murder them. Right. You know, um, it was more just like, these guys look funny. Yeah. And let's make fun of that. Yeah. Versus these guys look funny and I want to kill them. Right. <laughs> 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 caught the attention of those girls though they were loving it oh, freaking loving those out of towners long hair tired of those Except jack nicholson no he's the he's the lawyer he's looking more respectable yeah combing his hair over you know uh that in that hopper in the commentary said that he brought jack nicholson's character into the movie to represent kind of the establishment so essentially a white straight 
or short haircut lawyer mm-hmm. starts hanging out with the other crowd and he needs to die type thing mm-hmm. for kind of crossing the line. Which I thought was kind of, I never, I guess, thought of it Makes that sense. way. But it was like, meh. That is a good well, didn't you hear that. the sweet synopsis from IMDb? He's a, <laughs> he bridges the countercultural gap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it all came true now. It all rings true from that Bridges synopsis. the gap. <laughs> and he pays the price. Pays the ultimate price. But yeah, it's so funny. Is Jack, you know, he's thrown in jail for being shit-faced the night before. <laughs> As soon as they get out of the jail, a little hair of the dog for old Jack. Yep. <laughs> Just right back at it. First <laughs> drink of the day. I got I got a little clip here for that. D.H. Lawrence. <laughs> Here's the first of the day, fellas. To old D.H. Lawrence. Nick, <laughs> Nick. Indians. So, so in the commentary, old Hopper said, uh, which I was very happy he piped up during it because I was like, what the fuck does all that mean? It mm-hmm. is hilarious. But D.H. Lawrence, he didn't explain who he was, but I looked him up. Um, he was an English writer and poet. His opinions earned him many enemies. He endured official persecution, censorship, misrepresentation of his creative work throughout the second half of his life, um, much of which he spent in voluntary exile he called his savage pilgrimage. So he died in Taos, New Mexico, and that's where he's buried. Um, apparently the night before this scene, Taos is right. This is either in Taos or it's right near, right near it. No, this is Las Vegas still, right? Um, I guess I don't know where the exterior... The exterior yeah. shot was different, I think, than the interior of the jail. Yeah, I can't remember. I think they did use a different jail for the in, for the, yeah, for the interior and the versus ex- the exterior. But anyways, Taos was either nearby or they're in Taos or whatever, but D.H. Lawrence is buried in Taos, New Mexico. And the night before, Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper got shit-faced or did a lot of drugs and something, they passed out and slept on D.H. Lawrence's grave <laughs> the night before, and they were hanging out with Indians in the reservoir and the reservations nearby. So mm. he says, uh, that's why Jack Nicholson the next day when he was filming just said to old D.H. Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, Indians. Yeah. That was just to call out, you know, the night before, essentially. Yeah, I, I saw two separate things for the neat, neat, neat. Fonda on the commentary said that that was from, well, it was ad-libbed, but he said it was from a guy that worked for the crew that would start the bikes up for him. Hopper said that too. Okay. Hell's a- he was a hell's angel, apparently. Okay. He kick-started the bikes mm-hmm. for the reasons you just said, because <laughs> yeah, if, you, Fonda couldn't if, you miss, if you fuck it up, you'll hurt yourself yeah. before they're easier. Um, and that's what he said as he kick-started it. Nick. Nick, Nick <laughs> as he kickstarts. <laughs> uh, but on IMDb, this just goes to show that you got to take a big grain of salt. Because oh. IMDb trivia, I don't even want to look it up specifically, but it said it was one of Nicholson's friends. And it was like some name that I didn't even recognize. And he just ad-libbed it from a, a buddy of his. And I was like, no, that's not how it was. According to Fonda. 
That his name was Nick? No, no, I can't remember oh, the guy's name. Is, but it was just a friend of Nicholson's. Oh, okay. And they didn't mention any part of it that it was, you know, Hell's Angel or uh, you know, worked on the production. Yeah. And it was completely different. I was like, no, that's that's completely false. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good old IMDb. So yeah, then uh we get into marijuana. This is a this is the scene where I'm talking about uh well, this is the second time that they're very literal of explaining to the audience what like the counterculture little uh, traits they have and words they use and stuff like that. Because the mm-hmm. first time, I believe, is in the jail cell when he calls him dude. He's Hopper like, calls him dude, and he goes, dude, like dude ranch. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, like you're a good guy or something like yeah. that. He describes it. or Like he literally has to define. Mm-hmm. And then they they say groovy to him. Oh, that'd be groovy, he says to Jack Nicholson when they're standing in front of the cops inside the jail. <laughs> Jack Nicholson turns to the cops. He goes, bet no one's ever called you groovy. Or <laughs> uh, and then the marijuana thing mm-hmm. was fucking, that is like a scene out of a just say no video type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I have a... But it I, could lead to stronger things, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have that, uh, I have two separate clips from that campfire scene that chat that they have okay the aliens but i'll play the first one and then i'll play something else do this instead oh no thanks i got some uh, store-bought right over here in my own no man this is grass you mean marijuana yeah Lord have mercy, is that what that is? Let me see that. Go ahead, George, light it up. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I couldn't do that. I mean, I've got enough problems with the... With the booze and all, I mean, uh, I can't afford to get hooked. Oh, you won't get hooked. Yeah, well, I know, but I mean, it it, uh, it leads to harder stuff. Jack, uh, you, you, you say it's all right. Well, uh, all right, then, uh, how, how do I do it? Here. <laughs> See, so it reminds me of, like, a, a Say No video. Yeah. And it reminds me of a scene from a movie with John C. Riley and Tim Meadows <laughs> called Walk Hard. <laughs> Get out of here, Dewey. What are y'all doing here? <laughs> We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. You're smoking reefers? Yeah, of course we are. Can't you smell it? Can't you smell it? No, Sam. I can't. I can't. Come on, Dewey. Join the party. No, Dewey. You don't want this. Get out of here. <laughs> you know what? I don't want no hangover. I can't get no hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. <laughs> well, well, I'll get addicted to it or something? It's not habit-forming. <laughs> oh, okay, well, I don't know. I don't want to overdose on it you can't od on it 
It's not gonna make me want to have sex, is it? It makes sex even better. <laughs> Sounds kind of expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hmm. You don't want it. <laughs> I think I kind of want it. Okay, but just this once. Come on in. <laughs> You're smoking uh. reefer. <laughs> yeah, can't you smell it? <laughs> uh, he can't smell it because he lost his sense of smell when he was a child. <laughs> after he accidentally killed his brother. <laughs> it's from Walk Hard. That movie is from 07. 11 years old now. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> going, what? <laughs> Shit. I would have said 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. It's not often that we play clips from other movies during a breakdown, but I thought that fit yeah, perfectly with, <laughs> yeah. with marijuana. I don't want to get addicted. It's non-habit <laughs> for me. It's kind of the same thing he says, you know, that Fonda says to Nicholson. And I read that Hopper said that it was the first time in the movie that marijuana had been smoked in a movie that didn't lead to the characters like going off the example you said, going off and murdering nurses. He said that this was the first time that I said that example. I don't Hopper. Oh, they said that like you said, and I was like, I didn't say that. Oh no, no. <laughs> Hopper said that in the commentary. Okay. So it was the first time it, was, it had been smoked in a movie that it didn't like lead to violence mm-hmm. type thing. Reefer madness was only what? 30 years before this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Mm-hmm. So then uh, from marijuana, uh, the conversation leads to UFOs because Hopper is thinks he sees one. And I have, I have a clip from that. But, um, yeah, one of the fun facts I also saw on IMDb was Jack Nicholson said that for, uh, for the filming of this scene, they had to use 155 joints. That is such bullshit. That is false. <laughs> no way. There's no way they used 155 joints yeah. in one night in a campfire scene. Because they probably got it on one night. Now, they talked about in the commentaries that there's a part where they pause, and I think they cut around it. Because Nicholson, Nicholson got really high. When he, when he laughs? Yeah, when he laughs. Yeah. And then he ends up, after another, like another sentence, and he repeats two sentences or so that he said before. I think that was where the cut was. Yeah. But he was like, let me do it again. Let me do it again. You know, I yeah. wanted to like, because Nicholson was, was such like a professional about it. I was like, no, no, no. It, it, it'll be great the way it is. It'll be more natural. Because yeah. he kind of got stoned in the middle of his speech <laughs> that Hopper apparently plagiarized. <laughs> so here's that clip. What? What was that, man? What, was, what the hell was that, man? Huh? No, man, like, hey, man, wow, I was watching this object, man, like, like the satellite that we saw the other night, right? And, like, it was just going right across the sky, man, and then, I mean, it just suddenly, uh, <laughs> it just changed direction and went, uh, whizzing right off, man, <laughs> and flashed. You're stoned out of your mind, man. Oh, yeah, man, hey, like, I'm stoned, you know, man, but, like, you know, I saw a satellite, man, and it was going across the sky, and it flashed three times at me and zigzagged and whizzed off, man. And I saw it. <sighs> that was a UFO beaming back at you. 
Me and Eric Heisman was down in Mexico two weeks ago. We seen 40 of them flying in formation. They, 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 they have got bases all over the world now, you know. They've been coming here ever since 1946, when the scientists first started bouncing radar beams off of the moon. And they have been living and working among us in vast quantities ever since. The government knows all about them. What are you talking, man? Mm, well, you just seen one of them, didn't you? Hey, man, I saw something, man, but I didn't see it working here. You know what I mean? They are people just like us from within our own solar system, except that their society is more highly evolved. I mean, they don't have no wars. They got no monetary system. They don't have any leaders because, I mean, each man is a leader. I mean, each man, because of their technology, they are able to feed, clothe, house, and transport themselves equally and with no effort. It goes on a bit longer. I mean, they discuss it a little further, but yeah, that's uh, quite the uh, story from Jack Nicholson. (laughs) He's very committed to it. (laughs) He sticks it. Yeah, long speech for him. Why Uh, don't they reveal themselves? Why don't they reveal themselves? (laughs) (laughs) It'd be a huge shock that society couldn't take because of its many antiquated systems did you ever find what book no yeah i was gonna say he must really kept that close to his chest well hop or fonda said that hopper showed it to him so that's how he knew that it was from the book okay but he didn't he must not remember the name of it i don't think yeah because hopper didn't even say one he didn't say or he said it was from a book he was reading at the time but he didn't say what book Mm -hmm. he never mentioned it it's probably from fucking that one Who's uh, L. Ron Hubbard? Probably <laughs> from <laughs> Body Feetings. <Yeah. laughs> so they get to the diner, and uh, the locals are not too fond of the Yankee queers, as they call them. Yeah. So, yeah, they assume they're kind of gay, so maybe it's kind of earlier gay. I mean, I know gays have been persecuted for a lot longer than the 60s, but at least in this time, I guess that's kind of why they what they thought of them, that they were gay. There were men traveling together, you know, long hair. And, I mean, that wasn't, like, a, a gay trait. They just thought it was. And, I mean, in all honesty, Jack Nicholson looks more disabled than gay. <laughs> <laughs> With his helmet and his attire <laughs> on the back of that motorcycle. So they should have taken pity and just pumped the brakes. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so they make quick work of him. When I, right before I rewatched this movie, I was like, I remembered him getting killed, but for some reason, I thought they had a machete and they hacked his head with a machete. But no, it's just clubs and bats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kind of crushes skull or to crack it. Probably he does give a good speech right before then. You know, this used to be a hell of a good country. I can't understand what's going on with it. Man, everybody got chicken. That's what happened. Man. Hey, we can't even get into, like, a second-rate hotel. I mean, a second-rate motel, you dig? Don't they think we're going to cut their throat or something, man? Like, they're scared, man. Well, they're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Hey, man. 
Oh, we represent to them, man, as somebody who needs a haircut. Oh, no. What you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about, all right. But talking about it and being it, that's two different things. I mean, it's real hard to be free when you are bought and sold in the marketplace. Of course, don't ever tell anybody that they're not free, because then they're going to get real busy killing and maiming to prove to you that they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're going to talk to you and talk to you and talk to you about individual freedom. But they see a free individual, it's going to scare them. No, well, don't make them running scared. No, it makes them dangerous. It's about what the whole movie is about, kind of. Yeah, because he's like talking about it and being about it as two different things. Mm-hmm. And how that if you tell somebody they ain't free, they're going to do a lot of killing and maim them to prove to you that they are. Yeah. He's like, well, he goes, and they're scared. And he goes, well, they're not running scared. He goes, no, they're dangerous, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Saying like you're scaring them, but you're not scaring them away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're going to kill you. Uh yeah, that's pretty uh pretty solid. And then that that also led to that transition scene. That was pretty freaky. Um they're getting beat and then it's also Hopper sitting upright with his knife. Mm-hmm. Like I suppose right after he got hit and then he finally sitting up to try and defend himself or something like that. Yeah. Uh that was pretty pretty crazy. Yep. I'll make it to the Paris line, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't know where the Paris line was, but they didn't make it. <laughs> For those of you outside the U.S. not familiar, what what's a parish? It's the same as a county, but for some reason, Louisiana is the only fucking state in the country that calls it a parish, parish. and not yeah. a county. <laughs> they, so. they do things a little different. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a French thing. Parish? Yeah. Doesn't sound French, but. Parish always reminded me of church. Yeah. So maybe it's a the, religious thing. You know, Catholic parish. parish. You know. Isn't that what they call kind of the congregation, right? The uh, parish, I think it's like, like you're part uh, of the church, then you're part of the parish, right? Yeah, but I think a, a parish is almost like a a section or like a it's like an umbrella with several like churches underneath it. Like okay. they're all part of a oh, parish. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that makes sense. But so anyways. then they rob them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I they think what? this is where the moral rob them. Fl- well, they don't rob them. Well, they take Jack Nicholson's wallet. Yeah, but they said they're gonna give it back to his folks are gonna mail it or whatever but then they go and i think they spend i guess i i took it that they went and they spent the money on the whorehouse because they took oh. money out of his wallet because dennis hopper at the whorehouse keep cutting back to them well, they took that dinner. He, they took that card out that had the whorehouse address and whatnot on there yeah so they go to the whorehouse that he suggested that he wanted to go to. And he's like, he would have wanted us to or something. Mm-hmm. He keeps saying to Fonda. Okay, so maybe it wasn't the money. Maybe. Never mind. I just I kind of read that wrong. Because Hopper's like, there's a little money in here. And he mentions yeah. it, but they don't. I mean, they have a bunch, so it's probably not even all that much to them. I mean, yeah. if they did take it, but. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I guess we'll just continue the third section here. The final section. The destruction of the dream. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Uh, they continue to New Orleans and find a brothel George had told them about, taking prostitutes Karen and Mary with them, 
Wyatt and Billy wander the parade-filled streets of the Mardi Gras celebration. They end up in a cemetery where all four ingest the LSD. Uh, the hitchhiker had given to Wyatt and experience a bad trip. The next morning, as they are overtaken on a two-lane country road by an old pickup truck, the passenger in the truck reaches for a shotgun, saying he will scare them. As they pass Billy, uh, the passenger fires, and Billy has a low-side crash. Uh, Wyatt rides down the road towards the pickup as it makes a U-turn. Passing in the opposite direction, the passenger fires the shotgun out the window. The gunshot is shown as a red blotch that fills the screen, followed by a reverse cut of the riderless motorcycle flying through the air before landing and becoming engulfed in the flames, while Wyatt lies motionless on the side of the road behind the wreck. And the camera kind of pulls back yep. and fades with it. His credits start rolling. Yep. Helicopter um, shot. Yep. Oh, really cool fun fact. Hey, everybody. Here's some fun facts. So the helicopter was owned by Barry Seal. You know what Barry Seal oh, is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. American made. Ah, no shit. And his brother flew it. Hmm. But I was like, that's fucking nuts. If any of you have seen American Made, Tom Cruise plays yep. Barry Seal. That's cool. Who flew a lot of missions for the CIA, smuggled drugs, guns, money, flew it all over Central America, very illegal stuff. Yeah. Worked he, at Pablo Escobar. On his own terms, <laughs> as he did work for the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he was also selling drugs for the CIA as well. Right, yeah, yeah. pay for guns for the Nicaraguans, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. That's a pretty fascinating story. And then, like, oh, Barry Seal on that helicopter. That's cool. And his brother flew it for the movie. <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty crazy cool. coincidence. Because he would have been just starting out there in 68. Right. I was going to say, that's not like everybody knows who he is and what he's done. It's like, no, yeah. he's actively doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I had to say that before I forgot. Yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, to go to the whorehouse brothel, Fonda seems pretty not into he seems like he's still pretty distraught over george's passing yeah but uh he's looking around and i wanted to point out that he sees a sign that reads death only closes a man's reputation and determines it as good or bad and it also quickly flash forwards to the bike exploding in the end apparently the longer cut of this movie had a shit ton of flash forwards and the only one that was kept in was this one so it shows the fiery wreck of his motorcycle at the end of the film. Yeah, Hopper said in that commentary that the house that they went to was an actual house in the Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a whorehouse, just somebody's house. And that the design and everything, that's how the house was. Mm-hmm. So like the signs on the walls and all that type of stuff, that was there type thing, which was interesting. So, yeah, then they hit up Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street. They bring their ladies with. And this was the first stuff that was shot for the movie. It was shot on 16 millimeter. It was kind of a trial run for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of given 40 grand to, like, here's 40 grand. Film the Mardi Gras stuff. If you can do it, then you can get the rest of the money, get the rest of the movie made. Because it sounds like it was pretty difficult to film Mardi Gras. I'm yeah. guessing they must monitor pretty heavy well, like video <laughs> cameraing and shit because... They had like six people or something, didn't they? Yeah. That's what Hopper said, at least. That he, him and several other friends with 60 millimeter cameras did it. Mm-hmm. Including Barry Feinstein. Yeah. yeah. And that Feinstein's a guy that 
Hopper clashed with regularly because Hopper wanted to do certain things with the cameras and uh, he fought with him like physically several times. Yeah. And the reason it, the production was so hard at Mardi Gras was basically because of Hopper. Uh, they talked about in the commentary <laughs> and uh, also in the book and the podcast. So like Fonda had gotten all the permits, got everything set up. Like you mentioned earlier when Hopper was outside yelling for two hours, this is my fucking movie. Yep. Nobody's gonna, that, that was that morning. Till he so lost they, his voice. So <laughs> they started like two hours late at like 1130. And so they missed like some of the stuff that they wanted out of the parade. And then also I believe that after the cemetery scene that night, Hopper wanted to take the cameras and film some of the, like neon lights reflecting off of I believe the water outside the hotel or just water. I think water on the ground or some sort of reflecting neon lights. Hmm. He was going to take it from Feinstein and they're already fighting all day. And he was an asshole at the cemetery, which we'll get into shortly. But yeah, he's fought with Feinstein once or twice. Cause after that, they brought Kovacs in after that. Cause I think Feinstein quit mm-hmm. um, at the cemetery. Like he convinced a camera if it's uh, Karen or, what was the other girl? Tony? Well, no. Uh, Karen and Mary. One yep. of the girls, I mean, in their characters, Karen and Mary. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, they got that one girl naked, basically kind of pressured her into it. They wanted her to get naked and crawl into that grave with a skeleton. Yeah. He instructed Fonda to talk to that statue as if he was asking his mother why she abandoned him through suicide. Yeah. And Fonda was like, you know, it's pretty fucked up. I don't want to do that. Hopper kind of just badgered him into doing it. And he did it. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's like real emotion. He's crying in that scene because he talked about it. You know, I I was asking questions that I never thought I would ask or Mm -hmm. saying, you know, collections of words that I thought I would have never come out of my mouth. Yeah. And then at one point in the movie, you can see uh, Fonda's looking down from the statue. You can hear him yell, shut up. Apparently that's because, well, that he was doing is he's talking to his mother, the statue, and Feinstein was shooting, or at least one of the cameramen was shooting, and uh, Hopper was, as this was going on, he's like, hey, you should move the camera over here, move it over here, and like he was kind of disrupting the scene, like it was going perfectly, and so and he started you know, badgering people, yelling, and so he just. Looked down and he was he's yelling shut up to Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's in the final cut. Yeah, that's oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> this is the first days of shooting. <laughs> yeah. Numerous people quit this production along the way because of Hopper. Yep. Seemed like he was just coked up every day, pretty much. Yep. And fought with multiple people multiple times. And uh, we'd probably get into it now. Um, who wrote this fucking movie? <laughs> yeah. So Fonda claims that it was his original idea. Hopper confirmed that. So Hopper did say in the commentary, Fonda thought of, Fonda came up with the original idea for the movie while he was working on Nicholson's movie, The Trip, yep. which was two years prior. He told to Hopper, Hopper had, I guess, was thinking about getting out of the business, as was Nicholson. Apparently Nicholson was kind of retired at the time from acting, didn't want to act anymore. And they kind of brought him back. Hmm. Cause I guess before we get into the, who's who wrote it, I just probably quickly mentioned that 
George Hansen was originally supposed to be played by Rip Torn. Yep. And that there's a a are story you, about. Gonna, hold on, are you doing the last scene, too? Yeah, I do have a clip. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Sorry. Never mind. But um, there was a, there was apparently a you know a knife fight between Rip Torn and Dennis Hopper. This see, I guess Torn had claimed that in a pre-production meeting that Hopper pulled out a knife on him, and then. In 1992, on the Jay Leno show, Hopper claimed that Rip Torn took out a knife on him, and Fonda called him and was like, "You can't say that shit. You know it wasn't true, and you know you'll get sued." And he was sued for defamation, and he lost. Rip Torn won the lawsuit. Huh? So there's that. <laughs> um, and also, Rip Torn called up Fonda and said, "You know, I can't, I can't do this for scale, pay wise, because he." can't let hollywood know that he'd do a movie like this for scale and fonda was saying you know he goes well you know everyone's doing it for scale except for me torrent said well i'll take your deal because you don't want my deal because i'm i'm getting nothing <laughs> fonda paid for some of the movie because well, he's a producer too yep. yep and he was uh putting a lot of the stuff on his credit cards the food the hotels stuff like that yeah so he's financing the movie he's not taking money and he didn't want you know uh you know, when it was all said and done, he didn't want flies on his shit. You know, he's clean. He did it for the right reasons and all that. And he said, you know, I'm sorry, I just can't do it for scale. He goes, I understand, you know, and there were no hard feelings between either of them. They were friends, and I think it remained friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. So then they replaced it with Nicholson, who Hopper didn't want at first. He was kind of, you know, was like, well, you just have to do it because you're not producing the movie. And uh, I guess executive producer and Fonda, you know, it was in their contracts. They could kind of pretty much pick who they wanted. Because Dennis was just director. Yep. And Fonda, wanted, Fonda had asked him to direct after he told him the idea. Um, but it comes down to the whole who wrote what. Like we said, Fonda, the original idea, him and uh, Hopper talked about kind of the story and how it would go. And they kind of figured that they, you know, they needed to get it down into script format. You know, exterior, interior, all the directions and whatnot in it that goes along with a script and so they talk about terry southern and terry southern was a revered script writer at the time let's see well i just want to look up uh just kind of maybe major credits from terry southern i know he's done a bunch and i've heard a couple of different accounts that fonda says that they were all kind of in a room together talking about the scenes going through what each scene would be, coming up with ideas, throwing it around. And then I think Hopper dictated it, like a scene beginning to end, to either like some sort of a voice recorder or like a secretary or somebody who's taking notes. And then so Fonda thinks that was like the genesis of Hopper thinking that he wrote the script, Hmm. saying that, you know, I dictated everything to... It's a script writer, but then it's kind of like, well, would that be Terry Southern? You think, well, why the hell would they have Terry Southern there? Right. If he's not specifically writing the script himself. Yeah. And let's see here. I have a, a quote from, suppose this is also from IMDb here. So what I'm about to read, you know, take it with a grain of salt. So it said in an interview with The Guardian, uh, Dennis Hopper claimed that Terry Southern wrote nothing in the film besides contributing the title as he broke his hip in a fall. In an interview with Creative Screenwriting, Southern claimed, Peter has to be the actor and producer, Dennis the actor and director, 
and assertin yours truly the writer. Southern told Creative Screenwriting, after they had seen a couple of screenings of it on the coast, I got a call from Peter. He said that he and Dennis liked the film so much, they wanted to be in on the screenplay credits. Well, one of them was the producer, and the other was the director. So there was no way the Writers Guild was going to allow them to take a screenplay credit unless I insisted. So not listening to the WGA, Southern allowed them to have their credits on the film, which was largely improvised. Peter Fonda said of the Southern's uh, contributions, he gave us a dark humor and literary panache that Dennis and I did not have. Having him with us uh, as a writer on the script put it above Periscope depth. People would say, wow, Terry Southern co-wrote that? I wonder what that's about. Fonda had a lot of respect for Terry Southern. Mm -hmm. Dennis Hopper probably to a certain extent, but it seems like they all kind of claim slightly different, I guess, turn of events for how the screenplay came to be. I will say, having watched the movie and hearing that, I can kind of see if Terry Southern largely wrote it. Mm-hmm. Because in different st- in the commentary and then different stuff I read, a lot of like the campfire scenes are improvised. Um, a lot of the dialogue early in the movie up until Jack Nicholson is pretty much improvised, it sounds yep. like. Even with the hitchhiker and shit like that. So, I mean, if it's improvised... You're you're not writing anything Mm -hmm. dialogue-wise. So, I mean, in hearing Fonda talk about him, if he gave a dark humor, I would take that as he wrote Jack Nicholson's lines because that was the only humorous part, really, was Jack Nicholson's part. And that is probably the most specifically written stuff outside of the little things he did. So that makes – I kind of can see that. And plus, if he gave structure to it, adding mm-hmm. tight, you know, interior, exterior, the fucking half the movie, it's a road trip movie. We keep yeah. talking about it. So that is probably the A lot of exterior. A lot right, of natural lot of lighting. So I guess I could see how he would probably have written most of it. The general idea and probably the scene ideas, Mardi Gras and that type. Yeah, those are probably Fonda and Hopper's ideas. Um, but, yeah. But it, see, it gets I complicated, see, though, that. because... The first cut of the movie was like four hours. Yeah, Hopper said that. Like <laughs> Hopper said, like the cafe scene. He goes, "I wanted it to be twenty minutes longer than it actually was." He goes, "But mm-hmm. that got nixed," and he laughs. Yeah. He wanted several scenes to be a lot longer than they were. And there was gonna be a whole subplot with like flying saucers and stuff that would like kind of piggyback on their UFO discussion. Yeah, scenes with flying saucers and Easy Rider. Are it's they, a bunch of far out there shit. And there's supposed to be a scene of them doing a stunt in the beginning of the movie, too. Yeah, there was like a whole chase scene with like a helicopter. A chase scene through the desert, like yeah. when they're smuggling Well, the I drugs. think that, I mean, yeah, they filmed all this stuff. Right, so it's like it exists somewhere. I, well, I didn't look at the deleted scenes on the copy. Well, I, have, I guess a lot of that film was lost. Okay. But, I mean, what we just talked about was in various sources, but this right here is from IMDb. There are various reports about exact running time of the original rough cut. Uh, four hours, four and a half hours, or five hours. All deleted footage is believed to be lost. Some of the scenes which were in the original cut but got deleted are the original opening showing Wyatt and Billy performing in a L.A. stunt show, the two of them being ripped off by the promoter, getting in a biker fight, picking up women at a drive-in, cruising to and escaping from Mexico to score the cocaine they sell, an elaborate police and helicopter chase that took place at the beginning after the dope deal uh, with police chasing White and Billy over the mountains 
and across the Mexican border. The road trip out of uh, L.A. edited to the full length of Steppenwolf's Born to be Wild with billboards along the way offering wry commentary. White and Billy being pulled over by a cop while driving their motorcycles across highway. Two of them encountering uh, the black motorcycle gang. Ten additional minutes yeah, for the volatile cafe scene uh, where George definitely keeps the peace. White and Billy checking in a hotel before going over to uh, Madame Tinker Toys, which was that brothel. Uh, extended a much longer Tinker Toy sequence, extended versions of all the campfire scenes, including the enigmatic finale, which Wyatt says we blew it, Billy. Which maybe we can get into that. Here's a clip from the final campfire scene. This is after, just after George has passed. <laughs> we've done it, we've done it. We're rich, Wyatt. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we did it, man. We did it. We did it. <laughs> We're rich, man. We're retired in Florida now, mister. <clears throat> you know, Billy? We blew it. What? <laughs> what, what, what? That's what it's all about, man. I mean, like, you know. I mean, you go for the big money, man, and then you're free. You dig? <laughs> we blew it. Good night, man. Yeah, so the we blew it. Um mm-hmm. I guess it's, you know, it's often taken as kind of an indictment of the counterculture, which, you know, like so many revolutionary movements started self-destructing once it gained enough power and prominence to effect real change. It could also be more of a personal confession, kind of admission that they ultimately succumbed and bought into their own outlaw version of capitalism rat race. The idea that uh, man is not a true success unless he has accumulated enough money to stop working and take it easy which I kind of agree with in that as soon as I read that, it just immediately reminded me of that first scene with the farmer and how he should be proud of himself and that he's made a living for himself in his own space and his own time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also really admires, you know, the people of the commune. This is their food. And, you know, it's people just trying to live off the land. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they talk about how this movie is kind of about how it shows how tough it is to live outside of the mainstream, how tough it is to live within the counterculture, I guess, in a society that doesn't accept it. Yeah. What say you? I agree with that last part. And this is probably one part of the movie that I didn't totally grasp mm-hmm. when I was younger and I watched it because I watched this tons of times. Uh, but I agree with that. And I think slowly... I think he I think it is kind of a self confession in that he he realizes that he had he thought he was being free when actually he wasn't. And free isn't just about retiring and doing whatever, but like you said, like he was seeing elements of freedom with the commune and the farmer and stuff, kinda of what you were saying. So that's kinda of what I took away from it. Um and it is kinda of like a downer ending, yep. but I think it does highlight how difficult it is to 
to be completely free, so to speak. And then that also highlights Georgia's kind of uh, dialogue during his last campfire scene, yep. too. Like saying, talking it and doing it are two different things mm-hmm. type thing. Where he, Maybe it's almost like a warning in a sense to him. Like, you guys are trying to be free, but you're not either. Granted, I guess I always felt Hopper wasn't. Yeah. And I don't think Hopper, we've we've kind of talked about it throughout. I don't think Hopper ever cared to be. He wanted to be free. Like He, he just didn't want a job, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. That, that's more the vibe he gave off, whereas Fonda, with all of his contemplating nature and kind of trying to think in depth, and that he actively was trying to, and he found himself suddenly realizing he completely fucked the entire road trip up because mm. he didn't achieve anything at the end of it. Yeah. Friend had died. They'd made money. So now he's not living off of anything. He's living off of money that he made selling drugs. And yeah, it was not ultimately what he thought. Uh, in the commentary, they kind of talked about um, immediately after the cemetery uh, scene, Hopper's kind of shot and edited it a little different and reverses the field and the character's, uh, driving forward, but the camera keeps looking back. I quoted either Fonda or Hopper saying, like, they stopped progressing. It's kind of like what that's trying to show. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that kind of while they were talking about it, like, yeah, it is like the motorcycle scenes. The very, there isn't many of them after that. It's just, I think, one. Yeah. No, it's one, then the campfire, and then the last one where they are killed. And the money goes up in flames. Yeah. The dream has died. The American dream. Yeah. Well, and uh, Dennis Hopper said that the meaning of the film, well, he, that whole speech, he says, was the meaning behind it was they essentially are saying they undermined their country and destroyed it, and they lost sight of their freedom, and that it's not about being rich, it's about freedom. Yeah. He said that's what that whole kind of confession between the two was. Yeah, you could argue that Farmer is the most free man on the in the movie. Yeah. I mean, you could even argue the commune people are free. Yeah, I think, I think there's not su- quote unquote successfully free yet. Right, you, you're worried it, like, hey, the food might run out. If that is <laughs> that is a good kind of way to put it. They almost are when they, as they're traveling along, they're almost it's two different, essentially ways. Freedom looks. Freedom looks fucking tough. <laughs> yeah, but the farmer who's been doing it forever and has a family and a wife and all that. His doesn't, not that it looks tough, it looks like hard work because he's putting on horseshoes on a horse and shit when they're just changing a tire. And, uh, but I think that that was more an element of freedom than they ever had. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what this quote is from. Might be from that review I read. This is like the hero of many a uh, gangster or crime picture. They want to make one more score than retire, but the universe has other plans. The film's final shot, the camera rising away from Wyatt's shattered, burning bike, suggests a soul's ascent, uh, ascent to heaven. It could represent the death of a man or of a dream of revolution, but it may also signify the death of a false dream of comfort. Billy and Wyatt were born to be wild and died wild. In its own twisted way, it's a happy ending. I, I, I guess so. Uh, I, th- I believe that's from that review, that Wild at Heart. It was that... Um, Supplement on Criterion, the the booklet. Okay. Uh, 
I've heard other people refer to that too. Um, that is, it can be read as a happy ending because in you know, a born wild died wild. I think Fonda has said as much as well, but mm. it's just one way to look at it. Yeah, I, it's I, never I a definitive thing, with, especially with a film like this. I could see that. I guess his speech, he's so. It's usually the most negative he's been the entire time. Yeah. Fucking buzzkill. Uh, <laughs> we got all this money. We're in Florida. Right. They just they went to Mardi Gras. They did LSD. They did everything. Like, uh, did you just figure this? Well, maybe he just figured it out because of the LSD. opened up his mind. Maybe. Yep. Because it's like, well, Fonda knew they had the money the whole time. He's the one who put it in the fucking bike. Yep. Because like he just realized it in Florida. Like, uh, all this money is, you know, it's a. Almost like it's a chain and it locks them up instead of sets them free. Yep. Kind of locks them down. Yeah. Those hillbillies uh, were found and hired the morning of the scene. Hopper saw them when he filled up for gas. Oh, yeah. Hopper said that in the commentary. (laughs) (laughs) The one guy had a huge, like, goiter on his neck. Yeah. Oofta. It was gross. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that last campfire scene was only. campfire without bikes in the background because they were stolen um oh, that's right. I they were stolen a couple weeks after principal photography had wrapped and they yep. had to go back and shoot that scene over and they didn't have any bikes left because they blew up one and the other three there was four bikes total two for each Yep. in case one broke down so they blew up one of fonda's and then the other three were stolen and never found and I guess that the bike that was blown up was restored, and it is in a museum in Iowa now. I forget which city, but there's a you can go see it on display. Huh, that's pretty. So that'd cool. be sweet. We have I to go down to Iowa and check out that bike. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the other ones were never found. Hmm. And they probably, and you know, the people who stole it probably had no idea. Oh, right. That it was going to be a, a big hit movie. <laughs> it was a, a full year later, probably when the movie came out, and then it then it became a hit. Yeah. Because they talk about how long this movie took to come out because Hopper had been working on it for weeks and weeks and like editing it. And they're like, oh, get him out of there. So they kind of. Yeah, he edited it for over a year, he said in the commentary. <laughs> Jesus. I don't think it was over a year, but it was long. A long time. It was ready by can. It's apocalypse now. So it couldn't like... have been over a year. <laughs> they, well, they started, they filmed the Mardi Gras stuff at the end of February in 68. And then I think they were probably finished filming everything in around June or July. It's like cans in May every year, unless it was different back then. Yeah. But I think I saw a number somewhere like 22 weeks he was editing it. And they're like, oh, get him the fuck out of there. He had a four-hour cut like after that. <laughs> and so they, I've seen different uh, reports on who exactly it was. But um, I don't know. you have any more? Little fun facts or anything else we want to talk about? Um, so Terry Southern, he wrote the screenplay most notably for Doctor Strangelove. He uh, what? Terry Southern. Mm-hmm. He wrote the screenplay for Doctor Strangelove. Okay. Um, so he would have been a hot commodity at the time. I don't know any of the other ones in between then and Easy Rider, The Collector. He's uncredited for the loved one. Cincinnati Kid, Casino Royale, he was uncredited for. Okay. Uh, and that was really it. There's a few others, but I don't really recognize it. But regardless, he's a Doctor Strange love. So I'm sure you, yeah, to your point, he'd been sought after. Um, 
Other fun fact is the one song, which we forgot to bring up, that they're singing in the commune. Does your hair hang low? Does it whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently that song was from the American Revolution. That's where that stemmed from. Okay. So it's kind of a cool little symbolic thing. I would say the only line we didn't go over was when they were talking to the hitchhiker around the campfire, and he asks him, have you ever wanted to be somebody else? Mm. The hitchhiker says, porky pig. That was all (laughs) Mm ad-libbed. Then Peter Fonda says, I've never wanted to be anyone else. I thought that was kind of cool. But no, I think that's it. I think we covered everything I had. Here's a fun fact. Uh, The bridge seen in the opening credits, uh, the Old Trails Arch Bridge in Topak, Arizona, is the same bridge Peter Fonda's father, Henry, uh, playing Tom Joad, crossed with the Joad family when entering California in the Grapes of Wrath. Hmm. So that's kind of a cool connection, father and son doing this, crossing the same bridge for that's pretty very cool. famous movies. Yep, that's pretty cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, from IMDb, it said, At the request of Bob Rafelson and Bert Schneider, Henry Jagalum was brought in to edit the film into its current form while Schneider purchased uh, Dennis Hopper a trip to... Uh, Taos is that town I believe you're talking about. Yep. Taos. So he would not interfere with the recut. Upon seeing the final cut, Hopper was originally displeased, saying that his movie was turned into a TV show, but he uh, eventually accepted, claiming that Jagalum had crafted the film the way Hopper had originally intended. Despite the large part he played in shaping the film, Jagalum only received credit as an editorial consultant. <laughs> but Fonda said on the podcast that it was him and Don Cameron, and Bill Hayward, and they kind of edited it all together. <laughs> so I don't really know who to Funny. believe. Yeah, I remember uh, the Bill Hayward seeing his name in Fonz's book, too, that he mentions he did a lot. And according to Terry Southern, the original ending had Billy and Wyatt use the money from their deal to buy a boat in Key West and sail into the sunset. It was then decided to go with the darker ending, about which Hopper was initially hesitant, but... This film is also apparently the favorite film of Charles Manson. Apparently. Mm, go figure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about all I had. This is one of my... I watch Easy Rider. I don't have records. <laughs> but I would say pretty consistently almost every single summer for the past five years, <laughs> if not more. Easy Rider is, for some reason, it just... It rings summer strictly because of the setting, yeah. the road trip aspect. And I loved it the first time I saw it. I was probably, I was either in high school or college. Uh, and it was just the freedom aspect, yeah. being free of everything and just fucking hitting the open road and just kind of traveling and that type of thing and not caring. Again, that's why like the ending when I was younger, I probably didn't even think about his speech at the end or any mm-hmm. of that. Probably didn't even know what the fuck <laughs> happened. Just like, oh, God, he dies right away. Uh, but um, these days, that is, it's it's still a movie that every single summer, usually I have a handful of movies that I like to watch in the summer, and this mm-hmm. one always gets in there. Yep. Also because it's an easy one to fit in because it's only an hour and 35 minutes long. So definitely a must-see summer movie for me. I usually don't look at it again till the next summer. Yeah. <laughs> or have an urge to either. That's why I'm uh, going on a road trip myself at the end of the month, Going heading out to Deadwood. You going to take your chopper? <laughs> <laughs> no, just the, just the Mazda. 
put an American flag in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get a jacket with an American flag. Um, funny thing, I was talking to a guy at work, a guy that his desk is right next to Jason. I was talking about Deadwood, and he just, he was somewhere else, and he goes, Deadwood? I'm talking about Deadwood for him. I'm like, oh, I'm going there. He goes, hell, yeah, me too. I'm like, it was like South Dakota, or I said something about I'm not going to go to Wall Drug this time or something. Uh-huh. And he goes, you going to South Dakota? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, me too. I'm like, oh, yeah, when? He's like, end of the month. I'm like, me too. We're both going the same weekend. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Him and his uh, girlfriend <laughs> are going. Oh, We're going nice. to different. He's not going to Deadwood, I don't think. And I might go. A, I might leave a day earlier than him and go out to Wyoming for a while. But oh, okay, ah, cool. See Devil's Tower again. But that'd be pretty fun. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're continuing our theme of summer movies. We'll be doing uh, Scarface. I don't know if we're doing it next, because we haven't nailed down a date for when we're, when we're going to record it. But. Uh, Maybe look out for more mini apps coming out, Scarface, maybe another leftover, and then we'll, you know, break into our horror extravaganza with the burning. Nice transition. So you're kicking it off with transitional film because that's a summer camp slasher. It's mm-hmm. a good one. So kind of transition into our horror with the summer horror. Movie. Sam's already talking. He's already talking fall, Halloween, all kinds of shit. <laughs> yeah. Are you getting ready for slasher Sundays? <laughs> That we never consistently do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that'll do it. Reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. And please rate and review, subscribe on iTunes and or Stitcher. Other than that, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right. Check you later. Bye. Bye. Dork, man. What are you talking Check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you lost my case.